Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your host, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. What's going on, guys? Welcome to a brand new BSN Nuggets podcast. We are presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you a quick word about our great partner, Total Beverage. If you don't know by now, they're now delivering beer, wine, spirits, liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. And for a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. That's the only thing, though. you got to use their website and app to get this offer. You also got to use promo code BSN10. So again, promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 order from Total Beverage on their website and app. Have it delivered straight to your door. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here on a Monday, straight off this latest Nuggets win. Denver victorious against Portland, 116-113. I'm excited to record this podcast. I got a lot of thoughts on this Nuggets win. I mean, we could approach this one from so many different angles. Denver wins what? They're 12th straight at home. They're still atop the Western Conference. This was Denver's fifth game in seven nights. I expected them to lose this game. Uh, we'll talk about the Warriors game upcoming here on Tuesday, but I actually thought the Nuggets have a or had a better shot at being the Warriors here on Tuesday night than they did against a well-rested Trailblazers team on Sunday. Nikola Jokic goes for 40. That seems like where we should start, though. What stands out to you when looking back at his night where he really just hit Yusef Nurkic from every which angle? Well, Barton said it best. What he's doing, how can you not say he's an MVP candidate? Oh, I love where this is where you want to start. You know, there's nothing I love talking about more than the MVP debate. Yeah, I, I almost considered instead of filing my Golden Nuggets column after the game, just publishing the transcription of Will Barton's quotes about Nikola Jokic and just running with that. Will Barton had some really good things to say about Jokic. 
I always love hearing what Barton has to say about Jokic because, number one, the two guys are pretty good friends despite being about as different people as you could possibly be. And number two, Barton's been here for this whole ride as well. He's he's seen Jokic go from little-used backup center to, to face of the franchise here in four seasons. Barton was at that mini camp the first time most of the Nuggets mm. saw Jokic. Uh, Jameer Nelson hosted it in Philadelphia. And back then, Barton understandably was a little skeptical. I mean, I, I think he understood Jokic was skilled, but he didn't know if he could hang athletically. Uh, well, now Barton is one of the biggest Jokic supporters probably probably on the team. I mean, everybody, I guess, is a Jokic supporter, but Barton loves Jokic, and I think he's really understand how to, to fit in alongside of him. Barton said he's the best player in our team. We've known that for a while now. He's going to be an all-star this year. He's one of the best players in the league. I mean, yeah, well said. Yeah, and then I asked Will Barton, was this an MVP-like performance from Jokic? And here's what he had to say. Yeah, I was going to say, was this an MVP type of performance from Jokic? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer that he should be in that conversation. A team that wasn't in the playoffs last year, that had the best record in the West, uh, one of the best records in the NBA. Um, our original starting five is barely seen the floor together. Guys been in and out of the lineup, key players, and... What he's doing, I mean, how can you not say he's not MVP candidate? So there's Will Barton pretty much laying out Nikola Jokic's resume. And, yeah, I mean, I have to agree with him. Quick tangent, though. Thank God Will Barton is back <laughs> in this Nuggets locker room. I have missed him because he, Will Barton is the pulse of this team. He's the guy you go to when you want to hear it straight, when you want to gauge the temperature of this team. Will Barton's always going to give it to you how it is. He's going to be real with you. He's going to tell you what's going on. He's going to tell you where this team is struggling. I always go back to preseason. Remember when they nearly lost to Perth, that Australia team? Will Barton stands at his locker and says, all right, we don't need to freak out. You know, everybody was all up in arms about, oh, my God, they almost lost to Perth. This was a preseason game. This team had such high expectations. What the heck's going on here? Will Barton was like, all right, let's just settle down. No, we didn't bring it tonight, obviously. It's just the preseason. We got a long road ahead of us, and you know, sure enough, they were fine. Will Barton's always going to give it to you straight. I'm really happy he was. he's back in here, and, and we can talk with him after games and, and just get his take on things because he always has a really measured and nuanced take, and usually it's right. But, I mean, this was him pretty much saying, yes, this was an MVP-like performance from Nikola Jokic. He should be smack dab in the middle of the conversation. Perth. I I'm convinced that when the Nuggets, you know, make us a, a surprise run to the Western Conference Finals this year, Perth is going to be sitting at home thinking we could have won 50 games in the NBA this year. We're right there with those guys. Yeah, that was that was a hilarious game. Um, going back to Jokic, he was just going at Yusuf Nurkic from yeah. the very first whistle in the in this game. I mean, he, his first bet bucket of the game, he kind of did this running spin move and fooled Nurk pretty bad. Nurk was in foul trouble all game. He picked up his fourth fourth foul early in the third quarter you know he spent much of the second half on the bench the, the trailblazers were forced to throw a menu onto him I mean whatever the trailblazers threw at Jokic he, he just sliced him up I mean he was unstoppable in this game and Jokic did it from everywhere too I mean he had the the three ball work and he went four for seven from deep in this game he hit a couple mid-range shots and he was just a beast down low too I I mean, he would not be denied. There was, there was a possession in the second half where Aminu was on him, and Jokic dribbled the ball across the half-court line, and he just realized, like, nah, I'm not going to let this small dude guard me. He took, like, 12 dribbles. It took him, like, 15 seconds to get down into the post, but 
he was patient. He took his time, and then he just made the layup. Yeah, you you hit it right on the head. He was so aggressive against Nurkic from the opening tip. The first play of the game, they drew a foul on Yusef Nurkic. Jokic coming across the lane looking to establish position in the post. And, yeah, Nurkic was in foul trouble the whole night. That kind of set the tone. Jokic averages around seven or eight post-ups per game. NBA.com had him at 11 here. And sometimes those numbers are a little faulty. He, he really had more than that. Uh, but Denver looked for him early and often in the post. Like I thought they would against the Trailblazers. Really the key to beating Nurkic and Portland for Denver over the past couple years has been establishing Jokic in the post. And if he's going off for 30 points, that usually is going to equal a Nuggets win. Do you think he looks to be more aggressive against Nurkic? Because he'll never say it, so we have to do our job and speculate. Do you think he looks to be more aggressive against him? See, I don't know about that. I, I mean, he did have that that like running dunk where it was basically on Nurk's head. You, you almost never see that from Jokic in a game in Portland. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I think mostly Jokic just has a sense for the moment, and he's not really concerned who the opponent is. I think the biggest thing in this game was Jokic just realized the Nuggets need the win after a terrible performance in Phoenix, and it didn't matter really that they were playing the Trailblazers or if it was just like a random team like the Charlotte Hornets. I think Jokic was pretty determined to just come out and ball out in this game. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. because That's another layer to this performance from Jokic coming off what happened in Phoenix and what he had to say post-game there, but back to Nurkic. I will slightly disagree. I think he gets up for these games against Nurkic. I think it's pretty evident with just how aggressive he was in that first quarter. I mean, typically, this has kind of changed over the last couple weeks, couple months, and I think this speaks to your point more. I mean, Jokic has had some big-time first quarters, but you know, in the past, earlier this season, we've seen him come out and be a bit more methodical, looking to get others involved from the get-go. But he's definitely transitioned into the Nuggets go-to guy from the beginning of games even. And, you know, we saw that against Nurkic, but I, I think deep down he wants to show well uh, against Nurkic. And you definitely got the feeling Nurkic wanted to show well as well. I mean, he was super aggressive from the start too, trying to be really physical with Jokic. Nurk definitely gets up for these games. I mean, just, just watch how hard he tries to hit the offensive glass. He tries to grab every offensive rebound with just reckless abandon. Um, I think part of, you know, why Jokic had such a huge scoring night was the way the trailblazers were playing him for most of this game. They didn't really help a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, there were instances where they did when Jokic was already rolling, but for the most part, they just tried to play him one-on-one too. And I, and I think, you know, they didn't get very hard on help and, and that pretty much just meant Jokic was free to take his guy one-on-one -on -one down low. And, and obviously he feasted. That's an interesting question because it's the total opposite of a game plan that the Spurs had which was really, I think, the first time in quite a while that a team just tried to shut down Jokic and send double, triple teams at him all night and shade off of Denver's role players and make those guys beat San Antonio from the outside. Portland played, I guess, the opposite way. They did not help down low on Jokic and kind of let him get his. Yeah, and I think... You know, you can do whatever you want, throw whatever coverage you want at Jokic, but the Nuggets are going to get good shots. That's the best part about Jokic. If you send two or three at him, he's just going to find the open man. The, Spur the Nuggets got great looks in that Spurs yeah. game, in my opinion. And if you ask him to score one-on-one, -on -one, obviously he can do that too. I just don't think there's anything a defense can really do to, to stop him, and that's one of the reasons why I think 
that even when it comes playoff time, Jokic is going to look like pretty much the exact same guy, at least on the offensive end. Yeah, so it's an interesting question. What's the more, I guess, ideal defensive game plan for a team against the Nuggets? I don't know. When they're healthy, I don't really see how you can stop them. Maybe just hoping that those guys are going to miss open shots is the best route. I'm not sure, but that's a question defenses have to deal with. So I did think it was interesting. Back to the Jokic-Nurkic dynamic here. Um, After the game, did you see what Jokic did immediately after the final buzzer? Ran to half court and dapped him up, right? Him and Nurkic met at half court almost immediately. The final buzzer sounded. Jokic was on the bench at the time, I believe, because Mason Plumlee was subbed in for that last defensive possession. Jokic gets off, off up off the bench and goes immediately to half court, and those two embrace, uh, those two hug. Seems like there's a lot of mutual respect there. And after the game, Jokic stands in his locker and compliments Nurkic and says he's a much better player now than the guy who was in Denver. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, Jokic always goes out of his way to, to make sure the media and everyone knows that him and Nurkic still have a good relationship. And I think that's true, man. I mean, I remember when... Jokic kind of got hurt in a game against Portland last year. He had to go into the x-ray room and get an MRI, and I don't think anything came of it, but Nurk was waiting around uh, for him just to see if he was okay. I think those guys really do like each other, and I think Jokic gets it too. Like, they both know Jokic is the best player, and it just wasn't... Yeah, you think Yusef Nurkic thinks Jokic is the better player? I mean, he had to after what we saw on Sunday. I, I think if you asked Yusef Nurkic if who's the better player, he would disagree with that, but... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, maybe Nurk does think he's better. You might be right about that. But I mean, he's wrong, obviously, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think they both know that it wasn't going to work out for Nurk to be the starter in Denver. I mean, Denver clearly viewed Jokic as the guy correctly, and, you know, for Nurk to, to be a starter, he was going to have to go elsewhere. I don't think Jokic really blames Nurkic at all for feeling like that. And I think another aspect that helps out what you were just saying is that that trade worked out well for both sides and both players. Jokic is the franchise cornerstone here. He got the max deal. He's playing at an all-time high, and the Nuggets are playing at an all-time high. If you look at Portland, Nurkic went there. It clicked with him and Lillard. They're obviously, I think, a better team now than they were before that trade. They have a higher ceiling with Nurkic now than they had with Mason Plumley there as their starting center. And it worked out for Nurkic. He got the extension. Obviously, not as much money as Jokic, but he didn't deserve as much money as Jokic. And, and now he's the starting center, and I think pretty embedded there. Although, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, he was moved or a piece from that Blazers team was moved at some point just to try to raise that ceiling. I don't know if that will happen this year, but maybe in the summer or whatnot. But it's worked out for him there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, he's the starting center on a playoff caliber team. It seems like he likes Portland. It seems like he likes that team there. And it's a decent fit, I think. I'm, I'm not sure how many better fits you could find if you're looking at a, another partner for Nurkic that could also be a playoff team and have him uh, as the starting center. I want to get back to that MVP discussion real quick because you know I can't let a podcast go without at least getting my fill-in in the MVP race. It's funny because it seemed like Jokic had more MVP buzz going back a couple weeks than he does right now. Now I'm seeing lists come out from Sports Illustrated and ESPN, and he's not even in the top five. You know, he's a guy who's seven or eighth, 
right? He's getting some consideration, but he's not a legitimate candidate. And I think that's crazy. I think it's absolutely crazy how a player that's been as dominant as Jokic this season for the best team from game one through game 41, I don't think that's really debatable that it's been the Nuggets, in the best conference, in the Western Conference with the injuries that Nuggets have dealt with, is not comfortably in the top five. And my theory on why Jokic doesn't get that respect in the MVP races, I don't think we know how to evaluate him. And I don't think the people that are judging this MVP race across the country really can get a grasp of what he's doing because it's not reflective in the numbers. You can really only appreciate what Nikola Jokic does and his greatness if you watch him on a nightly basis. And that's what we're fortunate enough to do here in Denver. And I understand people around the country can't watch the Nuggets night in, night out. They can only go off the stats. And his stats are never going to stack up to James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo and even Kevin Durant. But I just feel like we don't have a way to quantify what he does on a nightly basis, how valuable he's been to this Nuggets team, how much he uplifts the players around him, how much better he makes his teammates. And if we did have a stat that measured that, yeah, he would be third in the conversation, which is where I think he would be. I just don't think we quite know how to judge him because there's never been a player like him before and there might never be a player like him again. So we'd have nothing to compare him to. We have no kind of statistical basis to really represent what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, there isn't really that much precedent for Jokic. I, I see a lot of Bill Walton. I see some Sabonis, but neither of those guys were the passer Jokic is. And yeah. it's like those two guys with like Magic Johnson's passing ability or, or something like that. Jokic is averaging 7.5 assists per game, which is remarkable for a center. But even that number, you're right, doesn't do what he does from a, a playmaking perspective justice. I mean, I think Jokic is the best or the second best passer in the league. I would, I would put him in like LeBron, I don't know, one and two in, in some order, I think. And just the effect he has on his teammates as well. I mean, the Nuggets are probably the happiest team in the NBA. Like, these yeah. dudes just love playing with each other. And I, I think, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. But I think the most significant one is that Nikola Jokic is his team's best player. And that's that's something that's really, really difficult to quantify. And I think it's crazy not to have him in your top five. I think it's crazy to even have him any lower than three right now. Yeah. I mean, the only guys I can I, I can look at you and say, okay, yeah, that guy's been more valuable are, are Giannis and James Harden. I don't mm-hmm. see how you can have him any lower than three right now with what the Nuggets have done with all these injuries. We don't really know how good he is. I think it might come down to that. He's so much better than the stats say. There's just not an effective way to measure the impact he has on the game. The only way to see it is by watching him every night. And that's something we have the luxury of doing, but it's not something the rest of the country does. And I understand that, uh, but it's really too bad that uh, there's not a stat that measures the stuff Jokic is so good at. And it's not even the assists. It's how he runs his team. It's how he sees two passes ahead. It's how he always puts his teammates in an amazing position to score. It's how he always works for the best shot. So... It's probably something that's going to follow him throughout the rest of his career. No, I can't imagine. Sure, there could be tons and tons of stats that come out over the next decade, but it's going to be hard to find one that really puts what he does in perspective. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest reasons or or stats, I guess I would point to, which which makes me think Jokic is much more valuable than just 
the average NBA fan and heck, even like the average NBA media member thinks is the on off numbers for the last mm-hmm. two years. The, you know, the Nuggets were excellent the last two years when Jokic was on the floor and they just fell to pieces. That hasn't been the case this year. I mean, they finally have, you know, some, some bench support, but yeah. Jokic was just carrying this team the, the two seasons prior to this one. Uh, we both wrote about this as well. Um, Jokic is averaging career high in points, 19.2 per game, and assists, 7.5. But one of the ways in, in, in which he's grown the most this year might be from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that because that was the other layer to this game and maybe even one of the bigger takeaways from this game. So let's hit a break real quick, and I want to get to that on the other side. Be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. So jumping back into this game, this Nuggets win, Denver goes 116-113 over the Trailblazers. They're 29-13 on the year, 18-3 at home. Unbelievable at Pepsi Center. Maybe we can talk about that in a second. The biggest storyline, actually, in my mind, to come out of this game, and it wasn't just the 40 points from Jokic, it was kind of what he did beyond the box score. And... I mean, Will Barton talked about it after the game. Mike Malone talked about it after the game. What did you think about him stepping up as a leader in this game? I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that was kind of the uh, the lead, if you will. Yeah, after that loss in Phoenix to a Devin Bookerless Suns team, uh, probably the Nuggets' worst loss of the year, Jokic mm-hmm. kind of called his teammates out a little bit, um, you know, he basically just said that it was an unacceptable effort and that they couldn't have nights like that. And that's not something that you've you've seen from Jokic that often. He's not the guy who, who's going to be the vocal leader. He was in this instance, and then he backed it up by, by coming out and having one of the best games of his career. A um, couple big buckets down the stretch, too. Just did it from start to finish. I think Jokic is becoming more comfortable as the face of the franchise guy. Just his his place in the hierarchy. I mean, he, he's clearly the number one guy here, and I think everybody on this team has known that for a while, and, and Jokic is really starting to figure that out too himself. Yeah, the comments in Phoenix were interesting. I wasn't in Phoenix, but I know I eventually heard the post-game audio there of what he had to say after that loss, and Jokic, he's not going to come out and name names. He's not going to point fingers, call guys out publicly, but... Here's what he did say. He had a couple of different quotes, but here were the two main ones I thought. First of all, he was asked post-game if the Nuggets came into this one thinking they were going to win going away just because they're at the top of the Western Conference, Phoenix is at the bottom, there's no Devin Booker, if they just thought they could walk in and win. And he said, quote, I didn't have that feeling. I knew it was going to be a tough game. 
He went on to say, I expected us to lose, not because we were loose, but we just didn't play the right way. Then he said, we played their record, not their personnel. I agree with you. That's probably the most I've heard Nikola Jokic call out his teammates, definitely in this season, maybe, and probably throughout his entire career. I don't think he's ever been more pointed than that. And I think it shows a lot of growth, man. I think it shows exactly what you said, that he's starting to really take on the responsibilities that come with being a franchise player. That's what Michael Malone talked about after this win over the Trailblazers. He's recognized that responsibility. And it was incredibly impressive how he came back 24 hours later against the Trailblazers and had one of the better games of his career. Because if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk, right? And he talked the talk in Phoenix, and he certainly went out and backed up his comments with what I thought was one of the best games of his career. And I even tweeted this at the end of the third quarter when he had like 28 or 30 points. I thought it was already one of his better games of his career at that point, just with how he was playing on the defensive end of the floor. He stonewalled Nurkic in the post a couple times, and then just with how aggressive he was on offense and getting everybody involved. But so impressive for him to make those comments in Phoenix and then back it up with this game in uh, against the Trailblazers. Yeah, 15 of 23 from the field, just unconscious. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, I think we tend to think of leadership as this thing you're, you're either born with, you either have it or you don't. We don't think of it as, as something that you can learn and a, a skill or characteristic that can be developed and I think that's often the case where you either are a leader or you aren't. Like I'm sure Damian Lillard has been that guy since he was like seven years old where everybody in the team just looked up to him. But I think there are instances where guys can, can kind of learn that skill. Dirk Nowitzki was like that early in his career. He, had to, he grew into being the guy, the face of the franchise in Dallas. And I wrote about this early, last month, but I, I think we're seeing something similar happen with Nikola Jokic here. Yeah, Jokic is never going to be the rah-rah guy. Right, So if you want him to stand up and make a impassioned locker room speech before a big game like tomorrow night's game against the Warriors, just stop. He's never going to be that guy, and that's okay. But how about this? How about him taking cues from Paul Millsap, a guy who's a lead-by-example type guy, but a veteran you know, who's been the best player on a lot of top playoff teams like he was in Atlanta, and taking some cues from him about how to lead by example and maybe not be the rah-rah guy that some people want him to be, like a Draymond Green or Jimmy Butler, but kind of molding himself after Millsap and you know, speaking up when he needs to. Because you know, Millsap, he's not going to make that impassioned speech either, but he's going to say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. Maybe Jokic has taken some cues from him. Yeah, and I think Jokic has the rare ability to, to be really honest uh, about his teammates and his team's play, and nobody's going to get offended either. Because mm-hmm. if you ask Jokic uh, about certain guys on the team, he's not one who's never going to criticize them. Like he, he will be really honest about it, but he has such a good relationship with everybody, and he's such a lovable dude that nobody's going to take it personally. How about this quote from Jokic after the game? He was asked about this being Denver's fifth game in, in seven days, second right. night of a back-to-back. He said... For me, to be honest, there cannot be fatigue. It's just half of the season. I think I did a really good job this summer, and most of the guys did a good job this summer, so fatigue cannot be an excuse, and we cannot mention fatigue. Was that Nicole Jokic or the Terminator? <laughs> what? You, Nicole Jokic is really just like a machine who's been <laughs> acting as a basketball player for the last three years. 
Yeah, they they installed like that flabby exterior to to fool all of us. That was some quote, man. Especially coming from Jokic, who's a guy who has gotten fatigued a lot this year. And look, how about him playing 37 minutes, 24 hours after playing, I think, 34 minutes against Phoenix and looking as strong as he did at the end of the game that I thought he did at the beginning. Remember like two media days ago when he was asked about defense and he was like, yeah, man, I really hate playing defense. He, it's, he's come like a million miles since then. I thought his defense against Yusuf Nurkic in this one was really impressive. Nurkic had a bad game. Uh, 5 of 14, only played 25 minutes because of the foul trouble. couple turnovers. Uh, just did not really have a notable impact on this game, I thought. And, and Jokic really shut him down. Mason Plumlee did his part too. But, um, I mean, Jokic played him for most of those 37 minutes. I thought it was really impressive. So Jokic, obviously, the story here. The 40-point night, a season high for him. Two assists shy of recording his third triple-double in five games, I believe. How about this? He was a plus 15 in a three-point win. <laughs> That's something else. Also, 4-7 from three. Maybe his three-point shot could be on the verge of coming back. It's really the one aspect of his game of his offensive game that hasn't been there this year. And it's the three point shots of the four to six feet open variety. I've drilled down to this on NBA.com. He's hitting those at like a 20% rate this year where he hit those at like a 40% rate last year. So that's really where he's missing. Not extremely wide open, not the six plus feet wide open variety, but the uh, four to six wide open. So if he can hit some more of those open threes, man, look out. Jamal Murray, I thought, had a nice night, 24 points, 9 of 18 from the field, highlighted by that clutch rebound he had at the end of the game. What do you think of his night as a whole? Yeah, Jamal Murray has, has a knack for going and getting offensive rebounds. Weirdly, he wasn't credited for an offensive rebound in the box score. I feel like NBA.com Wait, what? sometimes messes it up. It was clearly an offensive rebound. Yeah, it was the most important rebound, the biggest rebound of the night. I don't know how they missed that one, but... Jamal is pretty good for a point guard at going down in there. And it's funny when you ask the Nuggets about what the plan is on the offensive glass. The one, the one, two, and the three are, are supposed to get back. Right. And a lot of the times those guys just crash. I mean, I, I think they get some freedom if they think they can make a play. But I do think a lot of the time it, it kind of drives Malone a, a little nuts that his guards are, are hitting the glass like that. But they're good. So they, they're good at it so they can keep doing it. Um, I think it's interesting, too. Murray talks a lot about he grew up playing center. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did say after this game that that background, you know, playing the big man spot still shows up in his game a little bit. I agree with that. I mean, he's a really good screen setter. Um, he's pretty good rolling to the rim and finishing. We see that that 5-1 pick and roll from time to time. And he's a solid rebounder for a point guard. Yeah, I'm looking at the ESPN play-by-play. Nuggets offensive team rebound with 3.0 seconds remaining. I'm not sure how that was a team rebound. There was a lot of stuff going on. Maybe the the score was a little flustered. Um, Yeah, anyway, the 5-1 pick and roll, that's becoming the Nuggets' little uh, pet set, right? Um, They go to the Jokic-Murray 1-5 pick and roll at the end of the game. That's their money play when they really need a bucket. But the 5-1 pick and roll you see time and time again throughout the ebbs and flows of Denver's offense. Centers have no idea how to guard that. I always go back to that game in Miami against Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside seems like he gets confused a lot. Um, (laughs) But 
he was never more confused than he was on that 5-1 pick and roll where Jamal Murray was setting a screen on him. He just had no idea what to do. He's probably never had a little point guard set a screen on him like that. And sure enough, Jokic got wide open on the roll in Miami. It's a deadly play for Denver. And they know how to run it. Jokic is comfortable running off it as we've seen him run off pin downs and uh, run into dribble handoff and pick and rolls with Mason Plumley like he did against the Trailblazers. That's the biggest theory on why I have that it works. I mean, other than the Nuggets are really good at running it, defenses just don't know how to defend it. Yeah, I mean, nobody does this. I, I can't think of ever seeing a 5-1 pick and roll before just because there's no one like Nicole Jokic, really. Uh, Adam Morris, our guy over at Denver Stiffs, tweeted out the synergy numbers. Nuggets have scored 1.1 points per possession on 72 position, possessions with Jokic as the ball handler in pick and rolls. That's in the 90th percentile. It's hilarious, and it's extremely effective. It's it's just incredible, man. You're right. Defenses have no idea what to do with it. The Nuggets even went to a 5-5 pick and roll mm. in this game. It was kind of like a DHO and then Plumlee and Jokic pick and rolled. Jokic threw a, a beautiful lob pass to Plumlee, who, who flushed it. Plumlee, a, a great lob finisher, but that was pretty hilarious to see, too. Jokic is even a little underrated as a true point guard. I wonder what it would look like if you put Jokic in more just, you know, high ball screens and he dribbles off of it and gets a little separation and, you know, either goes to the hoop or looks to make a pass. You get him on the run with the ball in his hands going downhill, he's not fast, he's not quick, but it puts a ton of pressure on the defense. Well, that's how Jokic did the uh, pass to the backboard off himself right. um, over the weekend. That was in a pick and roll where he was a ball handler, and, and they tried to jump it with two defenders, and he just stepped between it and threw it off the glass to himself. Yeah, so maybe something for Denver to think about a little more, just what their offense looks like and how confused they can make the defense if they put Nicole Jokic in a position with the ball in his hands, getting a high ball screen. I'm fascinated to see how it looks. Uh, I, it's been deadly whenever the Nuggets have gone to it. And yeah, I never thought I'd see a 5-5 pick and roll that ends in an alley-oop, but you know, check that one off the old bucket list. Yeah, we need to start keeping a tally of like all the different combinations you can do in the pick and roll, like 1-2, 1-5, 1-3, and just check them off as the season goes. The Nuggets might have run through every single combination that's yeah. possible. Yeah, probably. I really liked... Um, well, let's talk about that last Nuggets possession. And I have I wrote about this after that win in Miami when Denver went to the Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll when they really needed a bucket. It's become their go-to end-of-game set. And you, you guys know I've been preaching this. Since December 1st, Jokic and Murray have been arguably the two best clutch players in the league. They have the two best clutch plus minuses in the league. And a lot of it is because Denver knows what they're doing at the end of games now. They know the ball is going to be in Jamal Murray's hands. They know he's going to get a screen from Nicole Jokic. And more often than not, that's worked out for them. They ran the same play this game that they did in Miami. They had Murray dribbling the ball at about half court, a little uh, shaded to the left of center court. Jokic comes up to set him the screen. Murray goes off of it. And in Miami, Murray got the ball back to Jokic. This time, he ends up taking the shot. I thought he had Jokic on the roll, maybe even more open than he did against Miami. He doesn't get the ball to him, ends up 
shooting that step through jumper, which he actually hits a lot, but did not hit this one, gets the offensive rebound. What do you just think of that last play? Did you think he had Jokic on that roll? Because I thought he was pretty open. Yeah, he could have got the ball to Jokic, but I mean, if Murray's getting that step through jumper, that's late in games. I think that's an excellent look for the Nuggets. I mean, I'm not going to complain about that at all. Murray converts it at a high rate. He's proven that's a shot that he can make. Um, I thought it was interesting after the game. You know, we, we talked on Friday. Zach Lowe called Jamal Murray the biggest swing player in the NBA over the next three seasons. Um, I think what we've seen this year is when Jamal Murray plays well, the, the Nuggets are almost always going to win. Michael Malone kind of added to that discussion after the game, um, and he basically just said the next step for Jamal is consistency. Um, you know, Jamal had 46 in Phoenix, and then he followed up with eight against the Knicks. 36 in Sacramento, then came back with eight against Char- Charlotte. What Malone wants, he said, instead of getting 46 and eight, let's get 25 a night. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> 25 a night, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, well, that shows you what he think Jamal Murray can be. He yeah. thinks Jamal Murray can be a, a 25 points per game score, which I actually agree when when he peaks. But um, when when Murray gets to that point, and I'm pretty optimistic that he will. I mean, look out. Yeah, that's going to be tough to do when Will Barton is back, when Gary Harris is back. I don't see how Murray can get 25, maybe 18. Oh, I don't mean the 20? season. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm saying, like, what does Michael Malone mean by that 25? Maybe 20, 18, something like that for yeah. Murray when Denver's roster is healthy. And maybe he can do that on closer to 45, 50% shooting from the field than the. Uh, 40 mark he's kind of been hovering around for a while he's increased his efficiency here lately with what he's done over you know this last month or so but still not up to the level we think he can be at we've got some more thoughts on this game before we move on though I want to tell you guys about some game-changing coffee Strava Craft Coffee is the CBD enriched coffee that has really changed lives their reviews are incredible Got to check these guys out. Their CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural, not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Make sure you check those guys out, Strava Craft Coffee. Let's move on here. Finish up our last notes from this Nuggets win again. 116-113 over Portland. Nuggets are 18-3 and at home. Any theories you have outside of the normal altitude is a factor. I mean, everybody talks about altitude when they come to Denver. Anything outside of just the normal 10-inch you list when talking about why a Nuggets team is good at home that this particular group has been so good at Pepsi Center this year? Oh, man. Um I mean, the attendance is a lot better. Yeah. Uh, the first two years of Jokic's career, the Nuggets were dead last in home attendance. They jumped to 20th last year. When I checked a couple days ago, they were their 15th. Uh, there's been 13 or 14 sellouts. Um, the crowd is definitely a factor. They were they were going nuts in this Portland game. It was really fun to watch. I mean, I, I don't, like last year, the, the Nuggets lost to the Hawks in January. There was like 5,000 people. I mean, maybe a little more than that, but there were not very many people. I really do believe that if you, if you just have like a jacked up crowd, mm-hmm. the Nuggets never lose that game. I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a real thing. Do you remember coming down the stretch last year? That stretch run, those last ten games. I think Denver had like seven of them at, seven of them at home, but 
in every game, the crowd was absolutely jacked up. Sellouts the whole way. And young teams are typically way better at home than on the road. And Denver really, for the first time under Mike Malone, is a pretty legitimate team outside of Pepsi Center this year. But particularly at home, young teams are really good. And I think we're seeing that with this Nuggets team. They feed off that crowd. They love playing in front of these fans. And the fact that there's been so many sellouts this year and the fact that these crowds have been really engaged, I think these guys feed off it as well. So the altitude, that gives the Nuggets a bit of a mental edge. I really do believe that because opposing teams, they can't stop talking about the altitude every time they come to Denver. And the fans are just another thing for them to feed off of. I've been in Colorado so long that I can barely remember my life before I was acclimated to altitude. Coming up on three years now. It's nice. Yeah, moved here, and then I, I played like in this this pickup league at, at Carla Madsen the day after I moved here, and I just wanted to die. It was like people <laughs> were stabbing my lungs. All right, let's let's um, let's go down the roster here. What else did we take away from this game? This was a great game from Monte Morris. 27 points, 5 of 6 from the field, 3 assists, 0 turnovers off the bench. He had 10 points in this one. Mason Plumlee was great. I've said it once. I'll say it again. When he's playing the 20 to 25 minute role, he's giving you A plus minutes every time he's out there. He was in that sweet spot against Portland, 21 minutes, 8.7 rebounds. I thought he was excellent. And Will Barton, 14 minutes off the bench, seven points, two of six from the field. Still looks really rusty as expected, uh, but it's good to see him out there. Like I mentioned before, it's good to have him back in the locker room. I can't wait for him to join the starting lineup. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's great to have Thrill back. Um, I feel like we've kind of – we haven't really talked about Monte as much lately. He went through a bit of a rough patch here. But this was the third game in a row that, that Monte played really solid and what we've come to expect from him this year. So it's good to see Monte sort of get back on track there. Malik Beasley was pretty solid again. He's filling in for Gary Harris in the starting lineup. He hit three threes in this game, three of five from deep. I, I just can't believe how well Malik is shooting the ball from, from three-point land this year. Yeah, the hard work is paying off for him. We've both written about it. We've talked extensively about it. We've reported on it. He's He worked on his shot a ton this summer. It was really the main point of emphasis that he worked on, and yeah, the proof is in the pudding. Three of five in this game. He's, what is he, around 40% still this year? Yeah, just above 40, 40.3%. Last year, I thought every three he took was missing. This year, it's tilted in the other way. I think if he's got an open three, it's probably going in. And I guess that's a sign of a much improved and really legit shooter. I think the same thing about Monte Morris, which I did not think I would think about at the beginning of the season. How long do you think it's going to take Will Barton here to get his minutes ramped up to 30 and get inserted back into this starting lineup? Do you think we see it against the Warriors? Or is this something you think we see in these next couple home games? Because I think they got some pretty favorable matchups at home coming up, if I'm not mistaken, against the Bulls. Do they play the Cavs too at home here coming up? So maybe you want to get Will Barton back in the lineup against one of those types of opponents, not so much the Warriors? Yeah, I mean, throwing him back in there against the Warriors is a pretty tough ask, right? Like, like I really want to see it. I really want to selfishly see this starting lineup make its debut against Golden State tomorrow. 
I wouldn't expect it, and Nuggets probably should not go that route. Yeah, I mean, he's he's matched up against Kevin Durant, too. That's a uh, pretty tough cover if mm-hmm. you're Will Barton. Um, yeah, Chetty Osman, much better cover. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe that, that Saturday game against Cleveland at home, that would that would be a pretty good one to, to get him back in the starting lineup. And who knows, uh, Gary Harris could be back by then. He's questionable for this game against Golden State. Finally, you know, maybe over the weekend, we finally have this starting lineup back together that we saw for a game and a half at the beginning of the season and spent the whole darn summer talking about. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see it for a couple of reasons. And one of them is Torrey Craig's been really good for this team this year. I think he's given Denver more than they thought they'd get from him, but they need Will Barton back in the starting lineup to really raise what they're doing to like their peak level. They can't get there with Torrey. And he's played great this year. He's a much improved shooter from three, especially over these last couple months. But you know, even defensively, he's had his lapses from time to time. I didn't think he played a great defensive game against Portland. Denver didn't play a good defensive game as a team, and, and their defense continues to slide here, which is probably the biggest worry I have about this group right now. Uh, but the Nuggets need Will Barton back in that starting lineup. There's just a different pop. There's a different energy when he's with those guys that you don't get with Tory. So while Torrey's played great for this team this year, and I think he should be in the rotation to some capacity when these guys get healthy, uh, they really do need Will Barton out there to get to that peak level. The last guy we probably should touch on, actually two guys we should touch on here. One, Wancho, 12 minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3. It looks like he's running on E right now. I would think it's mostly fatigue slash the groin soreness he was telling us about the other night. I mean, he's well up over a thousand minutes now, only played around 300 last year, but he's so young. You think he should be able to overcome that, but he, he just looks out of gas right now. Tyler Lydon gets off the bench and that's probably a testament to this stretch. The Nuggets are in five games in seven days or were in six minutes. I love this line from Tyler Lydon. Six minutes, zero of zero from the field, zero of zero from three, zero offensive rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, zero turnovers, a plus minus zero, zero points. He records one personal foul and corrals one rebound. Spicy mayo, baby. (laughs) Hey, man, he got out there. The Nuggets, they didn't give up a run or anything. He held his own. Uh, He didn't do much, but he didn't. He wasn't a negative out there. Yeah, and no disrespect, but that's all you're asking for Tyler Lydon. Just, right. you know, give us give us five, seven minutes there and, and don't mess it up. Yeah. What do you think about Wancho? You think this is just a lot of minutes combined with the injury he's working through, or, or where are you at with him? Oh, man, yeah. He's he's really tailed off. It's, it's hard to know how much of this is the groin issue that he was talking about. Um, but, yeah, combination of the sore groin and just playing minutes that he's not used to, but it's a little bit concerning. I mean, he was, he was so good there for a while, but I don't know what Wancho is not a guy who I I would think I would worry about. He gets fatigued. Like he mm-hmm. seems like he's in pretty good shape, but he just, I mean, he really just didn't even play last year. So yeah, the Wancho Malik debate is a good one. We had a call on the total beverage fan hotline about that question. So let's go there right now. Hey, Harrison and Christian, Ranchman here. Recently, Harrison, you posed a question to Christian. 
you asked if you had to choose between Malik Beasley or Juancho Hernan Gomez for a contract extension, who would it be? Hey, this is juicy, and I want in on the conversation. The question you're posing isn't made in a vacuum. If a GM calculates wrong and overspends on a bench player, it's going to significantly impact his flexibility in developing his team in a subsequent year. What makes your question so interesting is that four players are going to be up for contract extensions at the same time, Jamal Murray, Wancho, Malik, and Mason Plumley. Jamal's in a separate category as a starter. It's a given his renewal will occur. The other three, they're going to be competing for what I call sixth-man money. So the question for me comes down to this. In what order would these three players be ranked in the future upside? That is Wancho, Malik, and Mason. Now, while Plumlee's performance this season has exceeded my highest expectations, despite his free throw ineptitude, which appears unsalvageable at this point in his career and his ridiculously bad hook shot, even if I focus in on his rebounding and defensive skills, is that worth $14 million a year? Hey, that's starting center salary. No reason to think he won't be on the roster at that time. Believe he should be. But beyond the end of his contract, I wouldn't commit to Plumlee if I were Tim Connolly. So my reply to Harrison is that I would sign Malik Beasley to a four-year extension as he is a six-man type of player. I commit to this knowing that his contract will be rather costly. I wouldn't re-sign Plumlee at the wage level he seeks as his minimum, which is over $14 million. I don't know what direction the team could go in and searching for a backup center, but they can't keep paying that kind of money for a backup center who isn't a realistic six-man. I'm out. All right, thanks, Ranchman, for the call. And I know we haven't been taking calls too regularly, but we'll look to get some more in this week if you guys call up. 1-800-BSN-8394 is the Total Beverage Fan Hotline number. 1-800-BSN-8394. It's funny, the minute I went and said I'd take Wancho long-term and even wrote it in my big Malik Beasley feature. Wancho's kind of tanked, and Malik Beasley has continued to play really well. So right now, my take doesn't look that good, but I'm still sticking with Wancho for most of the reasons I laid out. I just think he fits Denver's offensive philosophy and uh, offensive scheme better than Beasley. Uh, A better pure shooter, even though, I mean, man, Malik has been a 40-plus guy for the last couple months here and shows no signs of slowing down while Wancho hasn't been that. But I think Wancho is a slightly better pure shooter. I just like his game a little bit more. He's such a good ball mover, ball mover, such a quick decision maker. And, you know, going forward, maybe he could be a starter for you and maybe he could even command a lower dollar amount uh, for you going forward. So I'm still with Wancho there. And I agree with what Ranchman had to say. It's tough envisioning Plumley on this team after this contract is up. He said, he's told me he wants to be a starting center. He wants to be a starting center again before his career is up, and obviously he can't do that in Denver. It would be great to have Mason Plumley on this team long-term as a backup if he's happy in that role and you can pay him what he thinks he deserves and what he does deserve. Uh, but I, I would agree there. I think with the big men Denver has coming up through the pipeline, uh, there's some options there. Plumlee's making 12.9 mil this year. He's set to make 14 mil next year, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2020. I thought Plumlee said something kind of interesting after the game. Um, 
he, you know, he said Denver feels like home for him now. Like mm-hmm. he do, he doesn't even really you know, think back to his time in Portland. It really doesn't dwell on it that much anymore. Um, and it, he's he's close to having spent more time in Denver than he has anywhere in his career too. Um, he port he started his career out in Brooklyn. He spent I think just a season and a half in Portland. So it's weird to think about that that pretty soon in the next couple of months. Plumlee will, will have spent more time in Denver than he did anywhere else. Uh, we're coming up on, on two years since that Plumlee Nurkic trade. And with all his off the court endeavors and how he invests in startups and uh, medical technology companies, he's got to love the tech boom in Denver right now. <laughs> yeah, I think Plumlee is going to uh, be okay long term financially. Yeah, but I'm still on the Wancho side just from a. Uh, basketball IQ standpoint from a play style standpoint I think he's the better fit long term but Malik is definitely making me eat my words right now from what I said uh, over the last couple of weeks all right well I think that's all we got for today's show jam-packed one this was a great game to talk about 116 113 we got another one Tuesday night a high stakes Western Conference showdown between the top two teams in the West possibly the top two teams in the league. It's funny, the winner of this game will be the top team in the West after Tuesday night is all done. Golden State will enter this showdown a half game back of Denver in the standings. So a little bit at stake. It should be another sellout crowd. Should be a great environment. I can't wait uh, for Tuesday night against the Warriors. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll recap that game on the next BSN Nuggets podcast. Talk with you guys then. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.